0: Well, let us worship our God. I invite you to take a hymnal and turn to number 368 and we'll join the choir in singing my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's stand as we sing. Uh, King David was uh, he had been a shepherd and he was a man after God's own heart but he was not without faults in chapter 11 verses 1 through 15 of 2 Samuel we hear this story about King David in the spring when things are off when kings are off to war David sent Joab "...along with his servants and all the Israelites, and they destroyed the Ammonites, attacking the city of Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening David got up from his couch and was pacing back and forth from the, on, on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful." David sent someone and inquired about the woman. The report came back. Isn't this Elam's daughter Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers to get her. When she came to him, he had sex with her. Now she had been purifying herself after her monthly period. Then she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, I'm pregnant, she said. Then David sent a message to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked about the the welfare of Joab and and the army and how the battle was going. Then David told Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. However, Uriah slept at the the palace entrance with all his master's servants. He didn't go down to his own house. David was told, Uriah didn't go down to his own house. So David asked Uriah, haven't you, haven't you just returned from a journey? Why didn't you go home? The, the chest and Israel and Judah are all living in tents, Uriah told David. And my master Joab and my master's troops are camping in the open field. How could I go home and eat, drink, and have sex with my wife? I swear on your very life, I will not do that. Then David told Uriah, Stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day. The next day, David called for him, and he ate and drank, and David got him drunk. In the evening, Uriah went out to sleep in the same place alongside his master's servants. But he did not go down to his own home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He wrote in the letter, place Uriah at the front of the fiercest battle and then pull back from him so that he will be struck down and die. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for this day. The, the heat is not as hot as it was. The air seems cooler and fresher. But any day, whatever the temperature whatever the climate and the condition of the, of the weather, uh, you are our God, and we praise you and give you thanks for the gift of life. We give you thanks for those with whom we share it and for the many experiences of our life. Uh, Some we have spent running from you. uh, Some we have spent searching for you. But through it all, we are most thankful that we have found you and your great love in Jesus Christ. We celebrate today the gift of life the, the gift of your presence in all of life and the promise of eternal life in your presence. We uh, come as we are, thankful that you have given us breath and uh, a, a heart to pump the blood through our vein, knowing that even in uh, difficult times, you are present and you give your help uh, by others and uh, by knowledge of humankind doctors and nurses, and sometimes in miraculous ways. You continue to care for us, pick us up when we fall, and uh, brush us off and lead us on your way. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our doubts and our fears. Forgive us our grudges and our biases, our prejudices. Forgive us those angry thoughts when we are taken unaware and uh, when we realize that we're not quite as kind as we want to be. We're thankful that you're not finished with us yet, but you continue to work in our hearts to create that heart of peace and joy and love and kindness. And may we continually grow in your spirit into the likeness of Jesus Christ the Savior whom we serve as our Lord. It's in his name we pray, and we pray as he has taught his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
1: Think back to your earliest religious instruction. And I'm thinking that your experience was probably not much different from mine. So my my first Bible verse that I learned was 1 John 4, 8. God is love. And the first hymn that I learned that had verses and a chorus was Jesus Loves Me. And that's the song we're looking at today. So if you'll turn to 191, we'll look at this song. And to know its story, I have to tell you the story of two sisters, Susan and Anna Warner. They were born to a prominent, wealthy New York City family. Their father was a lawyer. But unfortunately, early in their lives, their mother died. And their father made some disastrous business decisions and lost their fortune. And they had to move from their New York City mansion to what my source called a ramshackle farmhouse on Constitution Island near the military academy at West Point. And that's where these girls grew up. They became Christians. First, they joined the Presbyterian Church. Later, Anna, the younger sister, joined the Methodist Church. And while they were there, they gave Bible studies to the cadets at West Point. And they did this until they were quite elderly. As a matter of fact, Dwight D. Eisenhower was in their last Bible study class. So President Eisenhower knew these ladies. Anyway, uh, they had to earn money for their family. Things were not good. So the girls began to write to earn money. Now, this was a pretty good time for female authors. One you probably have heard of was Harriet Beecher Stowe. Louisa May Alcott's another one. Okay, well, Susan Warner was just right up there with those two. And she was one day writing, or at one point in time, writing a book called Say and Seal. And in that book, she had a scene where a a Sunday school teacher was offering comfort to a young boy who was dying. And she just couldn't come up with the right words to say. Now, Anna also wrote novels, but she also wrote poetry. So Susan consulted her younger sister, Anna, and asked her if she could please come up with something for this Sunday school teacher to use to comfort this dying child. And Anna wrote, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She wrote the verses, and they were in that book. This was in 1860. Now, you know what's coming up in the United States. The Civil War is coming up, so things are getting kind of rough. But in 1862, before the war, a Dr. Bradbury found the verses to Jesus Loves Me in this book, in this novel, and he put a tune to it and added the chorus. And so those words of comfort have been in every hymnal just about since then. Now, let's go back to West Point for a minute. These ladies gave Bible study classes up until they were just very, very old, and when they died, West Point gave them particular honor. These are the only two civilians buried in West Point Cemetery. So if you go there today, you can see the Warner Girls' graves at West Point. So if you can stand, and let's claim these words of comfort for our own again. Jesus loves me.
2: Jesus must be still.
0: Let's uh, turn in our hymnals to number 507. Through it all, sing. We'll sing it twice. Okay. lesson is from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Familiar stories. After this, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea, that is, the Tiberius Sea. A large crowd followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. Jesus went up a, a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, where will we buy food to feed these people? Jesus said this to, tell, to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, more than half a year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have even a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, A youth here has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread. When he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them, gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw that he had saw what he had done, when the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king. So he took refuge again alone on the mountain. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake. They got into a boat and were crossing the lake of, of, of Capernaum. It was already getting dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them yet. The water was getting rough because a strong wind was blowing. When the, when the wind had driven them out for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water. He was approaching the boat, and they were afraid. He said to them, I am. Don't be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and just then the boat reached the land where they had been heading. The Word of God for the people of God. Okay, where would you rather start, within or without? All those for within, raise raise a hand. All those for without. I'm, well, okay. Now you're me of the preacher who... Uh, was getting a lot of criticism so he asked his congregation one day he said uh, how many of you think you know what I'm going to say today and everybody raised their hand he said there's no point in me telling you I'm going fishing he did it the next week and nobody raised their hand He said, I can't believe I've been preaching to you all this long and you don't have any idea what I'm going to say I'm just going fishing well the next week they were ready for him so when he asked the same question, half of the congregation raised their hand. And they, they knew. He said, "Okay, you folks tell these folks I'm going fishing." <laughs> Actually, what I, what I want to talk about today is it is very serious, deeply serious. It's, it's definitely at the heart of the matter. On the one hand, it's so simple, and on the other hand, it's it's so confusing. Wars have been fought over it. We got two sides within us. And sometimes it's just a matter of how we wake up in the morning. We get up mean and obstinate, or we'll get up singing. I actually had a roommate for a while in college who, uh, on his good days, he literally got up singing On a clear day, I can see forever. But on those other days, I'd say, Dave, how are you? (laughs) Not a word. Uh, You know people like that. Sometimes when you see them, you just kind of back up a second just to wait and see what their mood is. Some of us have lived with people like that. Let's be honest. Some of us are people like that. Deep within us. Now, here's the thing. It's not just moods. It's, it's, it's not just how we feel. More honestly, it's the confusion between what we're thinking and how we're feeling, probably. But in all honesty, and the deep truth from Scripture is, it's the presence of good and evil and the confusion they can cause us. Because as as natural animals, we strive to be first. We strive for our own survival over anybody around us. If we're left to our animal ways, we'd all be warriors or uh, pack animals of one sort or another out there to consume and to kill our enemies and slay those who get around us. Now, that sounds awful, awful negative. I've been reading about bears, and I'm told that bears are really quite friendly creatures, and their main reaction to human beings is fear, and they'll run from us. Ron will tell you a story, one knocking on his back door. But really, folks, they're, within us, you know, there are those warring tendencies. Now, you, you may have forgotten them already. You you may you may have been through some things in your life where you finally decided and you made your choice and maybe it was a maybe that was the moment of your conversion you accepted Jesus as your Savior and ever since well there's still been those little battles in there but you knew which way to go uh, sometimes there's been some confusion but you know you prayed long and hard and well you know sometimes there are little little things that just seem to hang in there forever and I'm still trying to decide. What's right? What's wrong? And lots of times when we're thinking about what's right and what's wrong, we go to the right, and then we're faced with what's good, what's better, what's best. And we fight the battles all over again because we'll compromise for good and neglect what's best. We'll get a little bit better, and then we'll get satisfied, and we'll sit back, and we'll let things go again. I mean, am I... Am I out on a limb somewhere? Don't cut it off, please. Uh, does, does that not sound real to you in some ways? Now, that, that's, that's within. Look at it without, outside. Look, look on the outside, and here's how, here's how it comes about. Democrats criticize Republicans. Republicans criticize Democrats. Both parties get locked in their ways, and governments stall. Americans blame Russians. Russians blame Americans. And we build nuclear arms enough to destroy the world many, 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 many times over. And then we jump on the North Koreans because they're trying to get nuclear weapons. And we criticize Iran because they're trying to get nuclear weapons. Well, it's not just political things, and it's not just national thing. You know, it's... Uh, Methodists and Baptists, Christians and non-Christians, any any kind of division there is in life, you can bet there are parties, there are groups, there are gangs. There are always people who are ready to go to war, ready to fight it out, ready to just stomp their enemies into the dirt. Now, I'm not going to tell you there, there is no right and there is no wrong. Because there definitely is. The way of Jesus Christ shows us the right way. But look what happened to Jesus. As long as he was feeding the people and healing the sick, well, they were so happy and so glad. When he came walking on water, his own disciples were scared, but you know, that that fear turned into awe and worship. But somebody got jealous. Somebody felt that they were being slighted. Somebody thought that they were losing out. Somebody thought that he was going to upset the status quo. Somebody thought that he was trying to take power for himself. Some thought he was the blasphemer. And he was put to death, hung on a cross to die. Now, here's, here's one thing you might not often think. When we when we talk about capital punishment, we can make arguments pro and con. And there are some times when we think, yes, this person should be put to death. But when we kill somebody, even if it's capital punishment, you know, you know something that's within the courts and within our system of justice, does that fix the crime? Does that repay the wrongs that are done? Don't know about that. But that's it's almost, you know, just a, a solitary figure of what, what it means to go to war. Just to kill our enemies and stamp out our enemies. And Some of us, you know, fear that that war is on its way and that we're getting into the last days. I, I'm not so sure of that. I think these are things that are always with us because the, the within and the without are both there. And we're part of it. And and more often than not, we see things from our own point of view, and it's really difficult for us to understand any other side to the issue. Does God want us to understand our enemies? Does God want us to understand sinners? Does God want us to understand all those other religions? It's a dangerous thing because when you study world religions, you find that there's a whole lot of things in common in those religions. Now you find that, you know, the differences are often significant. Well, more often than not, they're significant. But some people fear that if we understand too much, we're going to lose our reason for being Christian. Well, I'd say that's a weak faith. Some people would say if we're too bent over on loving our enemies, it's because we don't remember, we don't know what sin is. Jesus Jesus said, love your enemies. Paul wrote, You know, be kind to those who mistreat you. Some people get into uh, religion just to be on the right side. Some people get into it just to preserve themselves a place in heaven if there is one. Some people get into it just because it feels so good. But we all have to answer within ourselves, why are we here? And I would hope that we're here because we know that God is the creator of all that is. And God is one. And I hope we're here because we know that with all the the, the angst and the stuff within us, we we need help to choose rightly and to go the 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 right way, the good way, the better way, the best way. And I hope we realize that Jesus Christ lived and died for us, and, and his resurrection is our promise of eternal life. And I hope we're here because we know that God continues to call us to love our enemies, to seek understanding, and to try to love others as best we can. And sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it requires a lot of tough love. And I'm going to close with this reading from Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. This is, why, this is why I kneel before the Father. Every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by him. I ask that He will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of His glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith as a result of having strong roots in love. I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width And length, height, and depth, together with all believers, I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Glory to God, who is able to do far more, far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power of work within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen. Our hymn is number 512, Stand By Me.